study there. We're working our way through the book. We'll finish up chapter 1 tonight, picking up in verse 9 through 20. And before we do get started, I'll pray. But also, I want to take this time to welcome any first-time visitors. If you're here for the very first time, Calvary Chapel, Monrovia, would you raise your hand so we can welcome you? God bless you, brother in the back. Anybody else? God bless you, sweetheart, up front. All right. Our ushers have a greeting card. It's, uh, well, it's actually just a visitor card opportunity for you to tell us about yourself, how you heard about us, and most importantly, if you have anything that we can be praying about, any prayer requests, and you can just deposit those in the, uh, there's a little offering box in the back of the sanctuary, you can drop those in, and we'll be praying for those needs that you let us know about. All right, I want to pray and ask the Lord to bless our study tonight, and we'll get started uh, right away here in the book of Revelation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the special time of drawing near to you in worship. We thank you, Lord, for really just the spiritual life that flows from your presence. Something about being with you, Lord, something about being with your people. It imparts spiritual life and encourages our hearts. And for this, we give you thanks, Lord, that we serve a living God who has given us the Holy Spirit, that we are not orphans or alone, or, but, but really filled and endued with power. And Lord, we sense that so much, even as we draw near to you in worship. And now we would ask God that you would speak to us as we continue our study here through the book of Revelation, this beautiful book, Lord, revealed to the Apostle John through vision and given to the church, that we might know the things that that are and the things that are yet to come. Speak to us, Lord. Give us ears to hear and encourage our hearts tonight through your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as last week we worked our way through verses 1 through 8, you got most of the background and some of the thoughts there. Now I'd like to go ahead and begin starting in verse 9. The Apostle John now is going to be getting into the revelation, the vision that he's going to see. And really, tonight's message is titled, A Vision of the Glorified Son. Jesus appears to the Apostle John. He appears to him in a new and a different way than John remembers him. It may be the last time that John has seen him was just before the ascension. We have no way of knowing if John ever saw any other revelation of Christ. We know that he wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. But here, this vision that he's going to see of Jesus Christ is kind of a new vision, the same Jesus, but seen in a new glorified state. And it speaks of who he is, what he's doing, and what is yet to come. So with that in mind, let's take a look here. John kind of introduces the vision by just talking a little bit about himself here in verses 9 and 10. The first thing we see is just some remarks concerning the apostle. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. John simply introduces himself to his readers, to the the churches that he will be instructed to write to, and he calls himself a brother and companion, and a brother and companion of those that he writes to, but of three things concerning Jesus Christ. You know, he was the Apostle John. As we looked at last week, this is written probably, John, maybe close to 95 years old. He's been around. 
He's a, uh, you know, one of the, he's the, the last remaining apostle. And yet, as he introduces himself, does he say John the apostle, John who's been, been around, you know, the last one living who walked as one of the apostles of Jesus Christ? He doesn't give any of those credentials. All of that would have been appropriate and true. But the humble heart, he simply says, I am your brother and I am your companion. And there are three things that he identifies here as being brother and companion. First of all, I am your brother and companion in the tribulation. Now, Jesus said that in this world you will have tribulation. There is a tribulation in this life. John, of course, is now exiled on this uh, prison camp on the island of Patmos, kind of like a, a modern-day Alcatraz. He's out there for the word of the testimony. His preaching of the gospel has put him into this place of punishment. And so he's certainly one that can talk about, a I am a brother and companion in tribulation. And the truth is that Bibles teaches that all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's part of his tribulation. And part of his tribulation is just the tribulation and trials of life. Can anybody relate to the Apostle John? Can we say, yes, John, we are your companion? He's a brother. He's born into this family of God, and he relates to, one, to, to, his, to his readers as the body of Christ. We're born into this fellowship. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. But we're also companions. We are We've been brought together for this journey, for this season, this time that we have in this present age. And it will have its time of tribulation. And I think there's an encouragement there just to know that we're not alone. I mean, look around. There are stories, there are trials, there are brothers and sisters here tonight that if they were to share you know, with you what they're going through right now, you would find a lot of common ground. There is, We would definitely say, you know what, we're companions I know what you're going through. I'm going through something similar myself. And there is just this, uh, this kind of coming together as the body and strengthening one another, recognizing, you know, that in this life, in this, in this present day, the kingdom of God is not yet fully arrived, and we are companions in this journey. And we, so we need to encourage one another. We need to help one another. And John recognizes that. Listen, I'm... I'm a brother and companion, and one of the things that we, we, we embrace together is tribulation, just as Jesus promised that it would come. In this world, you will have tribulation. There are going to be difficulties. This is a sinful world. This is a world that is fallen. This is not God's ultimate plan. This is not the fullness of his kingdom. This is this, the Bible often refers it to as this evil present age. Careful not to get too enamored with this evil present age careful not to get too entangled not to get too you know caught up in this evil present age remember we are just sojourners travelers like those mentioned in the book of hebrews chapter 11 pilgrims whose city and we're looking for a city whose builder and maker is god and this is not that city yet this is not the fullness of the kingdom john recognizing that he's writing to others that will be going through tribulation. This is, un, this is during a time of great persecution from the Roman Empire. And there is encouragement when we come together and recognize, hey, we're in this together. We're not alone. 
what we're going through, others are going through as well. But we're not just companions in tribulation. We're also companions in the kingdom. If you are born again, if you've come to faith in Christ, something has happened. Part of the kingdom of God has come alive in you. And that's something that binds us together as well. Yes, our troubles and tribulation, we find common ground there. But also we've tasted of the kingdom. All of us have been filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is that kind of that down payment of the kingdom. You've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I mean, that's what brings us here tonight, most of us. We're here because, you know what, we, we've tasted the kingdom of God. We want to hear His Word. We want the kingdom of God strengthened in our own hearts and lives. John is a brother and companion in this as well. And so we walk and live in this present age, but our hope is in the kingdom. Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. We are now living in the hope and love of the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of His Son. And it is a kingdom that is not yet fully realized. It is a kingdom still that we hold in hope. Romans 15.13, now, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Part of what the kingdom of God in my life has produced is a hope. It's not an all-everything-now type of feeling, but rather it's a, a kind of the beginning of what I know is coming. I've got this foretaste. The Holy Spirit even referred to as kind of a, a deposit, just a down payment on the kingdom that God ultimately will bring. And because we're companions both in tribulation and kingdom, we are also companions in the patience of Jesus Christ. We are waiting for the kingdom. Paul told the Thessalonians, Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. If you're going to live as a Christian, you're going to have to learn patience. You're going to have to learn that the fullness of what God has has not yet come. We have not yet seen all that God has prepared for his church and for his people. And I'm kind of glad that this isn't all this it isn't all here yet because this is good, but I have hopes of something better. And I have hopes of something eternal. And so Paul, uh, excuse me, John just acknowledging that he is a companion in these things. And I, I think of the patience of Christ. You know, we're waiting for the kingdom. Christ is also waiting for the kingdom. Christ is the one that's tarrying. He's the one that's waiting. You know, he's, he, his work is completed. He is now waiting to return as the reigning and ruling king. So he, he too is patiently waiting. And of course, we know Peter tells us the reason that he tarries, the reason that he's waiting is so that others will have opportunity to come to faith in Christ. It's really just the mercy of God that, that keeps the, kingdoms dele the kingdom delayed. And there is, there is this longing in our hearts, there should be, for the fullness of God's kingdom to come. And I think that's the encouragement. You know, we saw last week that, that, that God, in this book of Revelation, told John that blessed is he who would read, those who would hear, those who would read, and those who would keep these words. There's a blessing. And part of the blessing is you begin to see the, the big picture plan that God has 
of kind of wrapping up this present age and ushering in the fullness of his kingdom. And that encourages our hearts. There's something coming. There's something that we are hoping for and waiting for. You know, I don't I don't think about it every single day like, oh, Lord, come today, you know, but I know that he could come today and that's ever in my heart. But I got to be honest, there are some days where I do think, oh, Lord, come today. <laughs> I was um, this week, uh, I think it was Monday. I had, you know, we had this wonderful harvest crusade and or crusade, this harvest festival that we had and. And we had rented a stage, and it was loaded on a truck that I. So I took this stage. I took the stage back to where we rented it. I was driving this truck. It was kind of late in the uh, afternoon on Monday, and I, I wasn't feeling very good. I haven't been. I've got a little bit of kind of a congestion thing, so I was just kind of a little worn down. And Mondays are kind of uh, Mondays for. It's kind of notorious for pastors you know we call it the monday blues there's something about after sunday there's so much you know that goes out that monday is just kind of this you kind of crash a little bit so i was already i wasn't feeling good physically i was already kind of you know going through my typical monday kind of wore out feeling out of gas and you know i'm taking this this stage down you know and i'm tired i don't really feel like doing it so i you know i'm starting to feel sorry for myself and, uh, you know, I dropped the stage off. Guys are very helpful. You know, they unload it with a forklift. I have a little bit of work there to help them, but no big deal. I get the truck, and I'm coming back. And, I, you know, I thought, you know, I'm going to see. We've been trying to get some chairs for the youth uh, room. We've been, and I've been looking at these, for these chairs at Sam's Club. And the, the Sam's Club where I live, they've been out of this chair. So I thought, you know, I got the truck. I'm driving by Sam's Club. I'm just going to check it out and see if they have it. Sure enough, they had these chairs. Well, I had to load these chairs. So now I'm loading them into this truck, and I'm starting to, you know, complain a little to the Lord. Lord, you know, I hope you're appreciating what I'm doing here. This is a lot of extra work for the pastor. And Anyway, it was just kind of one of those moments. I wasn't, And then we got it all loaded up, and then I thought, well, you know, Monday was the ladies' um, Bible study. So I knew there wasn't, you know, my wife comes up and gets things ready here. So I knew I thought, well, I better pick up some some dinner for me and my son and one of my daughters. And so I get in, I pull into this, you know, get into this turn lane to pull into this fast food place. And the truck, I'm, I'm at this light, it's rush hour now, it's about five o'clock, you know, and the truck stalls, just completely stops running. And people are behind me. I'm missing green lights. I don't know what to do. I'm pushing buttons. I'm trying to. I realize I got to put it in neutral. So before I can start it again, I get it thing. I get the thing kind of running, and I, I get through the light, and I go in and I, get my chicken sandwiches ordered, and. I was just kind of, you know, overwhelmed. And as I'm coming out, you know, I've got these chicken sandwiches. I'm, I had to park. You know, the truck's big. You can't park. You can't drive through. You've got to go park out in the middle of the parking lot. So I'm lugging my chicken sandwiches back to the truck. And it's right about dusk time. And there is just this, it, the sky is just beautiful. And there's this beautiful moon just coming up on the horizon. It was a real, you remember Monday, it was a really clear night. It was one of those perfect dusks. And, 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 you know, I just, I saw that moon and I thought of what we sang on Sunday.
The moon and the stars declare who you are. And my heart just, oh, Lord, you know, I just felt his love and sensed his power. And I just thought, Lord, I know there's a lot of work left to do, but I'm okay if you want to come right now. (laughs) I just had a moment with the Lord and just that longing to be with him. I just want to come. I just want you to come right now. Paul was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. This happened to me in the Chick-fil-A parking lot. (laughs) But I felt that companionship of the patience, the waiting and the longing. But, you know, I mean, you know how we are. We just get, we get, I, I don't know, I just begin to, to long for his return. And there's this sense in my heart, Lord, kind of like the Apostle Paul. He, he said, you know, I'm hard-pressed. There's a part of me that wants to go and be with the Lord because I know that will be far better than this life. And yet I also know that if I remain, there, will, there remains fruitful labor for me. I can help. I can minister. And I think that John, you know, must have sensed something of that as he's there in exile on the island of Patmos. He's 95 years old. This is not a pleasant place. This is a rough situation for him. Uh, the the uh, historian, uh, I think his name is Unisimos. Let, let me get his name. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing. Eusebius. Eusebius. He, he tells us that they, they, they tried to kill John by boiling him in oil, and he survived it. So then they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. So you can just get the idea of how his heart must have been so like, Lord, I'm ready to go home. But he has this one last task for his apostle, to see this vision and to write it for the life of the church. We read what we read today is written by this this faithful apostle who endured much for the sake of the gospel but got but but out of that great suffering out of that great difficulty this beautiful vision is given to him and he writes it and records it and now we 2000 years later it encourages my heart we he is he is our brother and companion in the tribulation in the kingdom and in the patience of Christ. Oh, that our hearts would be encouraged, that our hearts would be lifted by just the, the testimony of, of John himself and his ministry that he was faithful to complete, exiled there for preaching Christ. He says that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. This is translated a couple of ways. It may be that it was a Sunday, the Lord's Day, that he happened to be caught up in the Spirit to see this revelation. That might be the translation. Or another thought is that he was translated in the Spirit. He was translated to the Lord's Day. I was in the Spirit, brought by the Spirit to the Lord's Day. In other words, he was uh, time-warped, if you will, forward to see the day of the Lord. And that's much of what the book of Revelation will reveal. In either case, it's an appropriate way to understand it. The bottom line is John, is he's, he's caught up in the spirit. And what he is going to see now is revealed to him in a spiritual realm. And I wonder, what, what was he doing to be caught up in the spirit on the Lord's day? 
My guess is probably he was in prayer on the Lord's day. My guess is probably he was in worship on the Lord's day. Often the Lord speaks as we take that time to wait on him and to spend with him. It's on that on those occasions that the spirit of God speaks to our hearts. Sometimes we need to slow down. You know, he had a lot of time on his hand. I'm sure that uh, there were times when he just fellowshiped with the Lord. And this is often where the Lord will meet you. Some of, sometimes, oh, I wish the Lord would speak to me. I need it. But we don't slow down enough to even listen to the Lord. What if the Lord wanted to minister something to you in the spirit? You'd have to slow down. You'd have to quiet your heart. You'd have to be in prayer. You'd have to be in worship. You'd have to be in his word and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. I've never had any kind of a vision, nothing like this. I've really, but I can tell you that God has spoken to me in many, on many occasions in, by his spirit. I've sensed his comfort. I've sensed instruction. I've sensed his word come to life as I'm taking time just to read it and, and meditate on it. I'm in prayer. And I love what Pastor Chuck says. A, a, an important part of prayer is listening. Yes, I bring requests. Yes, I pray. But then I also need to just spend time waiting on him and listening. That's my sense of John. He's in the spirit on the Lord's day. He's in a place where God can speak and God does in a powerful way. And we see now this revelation of Jesus, this picture of the glorified son. He hears a voice behind him. And this voice behind him, verse 11, says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. He's in the Spirit. He hears a voice behind him like a trumpet. It's Jesus introducing himself and commissioning John with this mission. I want you to write a book of the things that you see. And then John turns to see this appearance of Jesus. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. What a picture. He hears a voice like a trumpet, startling him, no doubt. He hears these words of Christ, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last, reminding him of his eternal, of his eternal nature. He gives him this instruction and he turns to see, and he sees a Jesus he's not seen before, or at least a, a, a vision of Jesus that he has never seen before. He sees Jesus in a different kind of garment. He sees Jesus in a very symbolic view of a glorified son. Let me give you just a few thoughts on this appearance. His clothing, does it reveals his royalty. It also reveals his, priest, his high priesthood. 
that golden breastplate is kind of like a golden sash that the high priest would wear in the Old Testament. And this kind of describes Jesus' ministry as high priest of his church. And he is also king and Lord. He rules the church. He is the head of the church and he intercedes for the church. This concerns his clothing, his person, his white head and hair, signifying purity and wisdom. Jesus knows all truth. He is the wisdom of the ages. Eyes of fire, he sees all. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Feet of brass, this depicts a king who is strong in judgment. He walks through the church to exercise his authority and his discipline. The voice of many waters. I think of Niagara Falls. I think of, you know, when he speaks, it sounds like waves crashing on the beach, signifying power and authority. And out of his mouth, a sharp two-edged sword. Everything that he speaks is alive. Every word that he says is active and penetrating. And his countenance was shining like the sun. He is the light and the glory of the church. And I want to spend a little bit about on his activity. What do we see him doing? Verse 13 and 16, he's, he's in a certain place and there's some symbolism here and he explains it for, it, for us in verse 20. But take a look there in verse 13. We see that he is in the midst of seven lampstands. And also in verse 16, he had in his right hand seven stars. So he's in the presence of seven lampstands, and he's holding in his hand seven stars. He tells us, and just jump ahead to verse 20, and you'll see he explains this part of the symbolism to John. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Now, as we studied last week, this seven, there were, there were other churches, of course, that existed by this time. This is almost 100 years into the life of the church. There were other churches. There were other churches in this region that John would write these letters to. But as we studied last week, seven represents the number of completeness or perfection. So Jesus selects seven churches, but in selecting seven, he is saying, this is the full church. I'm writing, I want you to write seven representing the complete and full picture of the church, not only now, but through history. So this is a letter intended to go out to the churches, and the churches are likened to seven lampstands. They're, first of all, they're gold, very precious in value. And what does a lampstand do? Well, it holds up a lamp. It holds up light. A lampstand is not, is not a light, but it holds light. And in the same way, the, the church is not the light, but the church is to hold and lift up the light. Who is the light? Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He is the light, but the church has a, has a, a function to hold up this light. He walks among the lampstands. He is ever-present. Oh, chapter 2 and verse 1, you see that when he's, we won't get this far tonight, but just take a look at it. 
uh, to the angel in the church of Ephesus, right? These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He's walking amongst the midst. He's ever present. He's active. He's attentive. He is ruling. He's speaking. He's working in and through the church. His priority is the church. We see this vision of Jesus Christ, and where do we find him? We find him in the midst of his church. Jesus has a priority today, and it is the church. The Bible, in another place, calls the church, refers to the church as the bride of Christ. He is coming back for his bride. The church is his priority. These, these letters are addressed to the churches. Now, we're going to see that many of these, many of these churches have trouble. <laughs> these are not perfect churches. Many of the churches, we'll see as he, write, as he addresses them, the letters to the churches, there are a number of things already. Now, this is a, the church is barely 100 years old. And already there are issues. Already there are things that he needs to correct. Already there is discipline. Some churches are commended. Some are corrected. But in every church, there are some who are persevering and that are faithful. So Jesus is not writing to perfect churches. And if if 100 years into the life of the church, there was already issues, just, you know, look around today that we have issues. The church is not perfect today, but what I want you to understand is that what's on the mind of Christ today is the church. This is what he's thinking about. This is what he this is where he's this is his business. He walks among the lampstands. And you imagine that he's he's kind of trimming the wick and tending to the light that they are putting out into the world. It's symbolic, but it shows the heart of Christ. And if this is his priority, what ought our what ought our priority to be? I mean, you know, so on occasion, people feel, you know, you, you meet people and they feel like, well, you know, I just, I, I, yes, I'm a Christian, but, you know, I just don't have time for church. Because they see the church as kind of just this human institution that, you know, they can do with or do without. And, you know, that might be true in some cases. But that's not the heart of God. Jesus wants the church to be a shining, holding up a shining light of truth. Paul referred to the church as the pillar and support of truth. The church has a ministry, and we as individuals have been called to function within the church. That's why the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as, as of some. You disconnect from the church and you take yourself away from the presence of Christ. Where is he? He's in the he's walking in the midst of his lampstands. He's working through the life of the church. Now, that's not to say that Jesus has no ministry into the heart of individuals. We know that he does. We know that the Holy Spirit ministers directly to each one. But even that ministry that he is working in the life of the individual is so that it, that that individual will function within the church. Even what he wants to do in you individually, his idea is that you would become a part of his church. And whatever giftings he's given you, they are designed to function in the church. As you disconnect from the church, if, you, if the church becomes something of, you know, a low priority, and this is not a self-serving, this is not, hey, you know, a church rally, come to church. This is simply what I see in the word of God. Jesus has a priority. It's tending to the church. 
This is his ministry. This is his place. This is what is on his mind. And we as believers must consider this as our priority as well. This is where, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in the church. You're supposed to, we're supposed to be companions. We're supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ working together, encouraging one another. We can do much more as a body than we can as individuals. What, what good is a thumb disconnected from the hand? Not much. But we need one another and we need the church because Jesus is in the church. This is where he's working. This is who he's writing to. This is, this, these are his epistles to the churches. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. From the book of Revelation, everything is to the left. (laughs) To remove oneself from the church is to move away from the work and the priority of Christ. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And he himself gave some, he himself, of course, reference to Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. He's given gifts out to men. Verse 12, why? For the equipping of the saints. Who are they? You and I, all believers, for the work of ministry. For the edifying of who? The individual? For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come. Till we all come. Do you see the sense of community, companionship there? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ can only be attained in the body, in the church. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Are you getting, the, are you getting kind of this sense of how God works in our lives? He works in the context of the church. Now, when I say the church, I mean the church you know, at, across the world, the church in the world. We are just one local member of this church but it's important that we that we all be plugged in somewhere locally to the church because every joint is supposed to be supplying something it works both ways i need something from the church to be healthy spiritually to grow to mature i need the church but the church needs me to supply that which I've been gifted to supply, that which every member supplies. So the bo- I need the body to be healthy, but the body needs me for the body to be healthy. And we are knit together. We are companions in this walk of faith, in the tribulation, in the kingdom, 
and in the patience of Jesus Christ. We need one another. Back to the book of Revelation. As you're turning, Colossians makes note of this as well. Talking about those who have let go of the head, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. When you disconnect from the body, you disconnect yourself from the head. If the hand, how does the hand hold on to the head? Like this? No, by staying connected to the wrist. How does the foot be? How does the foot receive nourishment from the head by staying connected to the ankle? As we hold on to one another, we hold on to Christ. As we hold on to the church, we find ourselves in the in, in the place where Christ is working. This is where he's at work. Now, yes, we are individuals. Yes, God meets you in your personal devotion time. That's part of you being faithful with with what your part is, is being connected in relationship to him. And it is a personal relationship. And coming to church does not give you that relationship. Don't misunderstand me. So all I got to do is come to church. No, you have to be born again of the Spirit. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That comes into your heart as you put faith and trust in Him. You also need to have a personal devotion life with Him. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. But then you understand that that all ties in with my connection to the church. They go together. In our, in our new believers' um, materials that we're putting together, we have people that have recently come to the Lord, people that have just recently rededicated their life to the Lord. One of the points that we, we, we encourage for new believers to understand is that they need to be in fellowship. There's, you're not called to be a lone ranger. You're not called to be disconnected. And we see here Jesus working. And you're going to see these letters. Jesus is interested in his church. You and I are members of that, but we must be members of it because this is where he is at work. We also see that he is holding on. He has something in his hand, doesn't he? Seven stars. He says those stars are angels. Now, that word for angel is literally uh, would be translated messengers. So he has it, it would read this way. The seven stars are the messengers of the seven churches. There are some who believe that this is referring to angelic beings. It is the same word, but it is also translated in other places in the New Testament as messengers. It's not always referencing a heavenly angelic being. And as I look at this, it, would, it just doesn't fit that Jesus would be telling John to write a letter to an, to an angelic being about the seven churches. It could be that these angels, are, there are angels that watch over each church, and that in some way, John, by writing this, is communicating with those angels. But it fits better, I think, to interpret this angels as messengers or those who are established as spiritual leadership within the church. Written probably to pastors and spiritual leaders. You are Christ's messenger to the church. And this, this is, of course, the way that it should be. As we read in Ephesians, God has given some to be pastors, teachers for what? For the equipping of the saints. They are Christ's messengers. 
my role is if you know among other things is to is to bring god's word to your heart to teach his word to endeavor to communicate christ's heart to you and he says write this write these letters to these seven angels these leaders within each church we are to be messengers of his word and to give his direction encouraging to me to note that they are in his right hand his right hand of course is the hand of power the right hand of of, you, of con, his control his authority we are but instruments in his hand and i'm telling you t- tonight leadership needs to stay in the hand of christ lord help me as i read this i thought lord keep me in your hand god if i ever get out of your hand i'm useless if i ever get out of being your messenger to your church lord I will have missed the calling. So there is a high calling on spiritual leadership and pastors, but not just spiritual, not not just pastors, but all that would be used in ministry. You need to see yourself as merely an instrument of Christ. Just you, you need, which is why you need to be in His hand. I need to be close to the Lord. I need to I need to hear his message. I need to I need to be in prayer. I need to be in his word. I speak for myself as a pastor, but I speak to you. All of you have been entrusted with some type of spiritual leadership, some type of spiritual um, place where, you know, people are looking to you for spiritual light. Oh, that we we would stay in Christ's hand. For me, it means fellowship with the Lord. I go to pastors' fellowships on a regular basis, Calvary pastors, we gather. There's a weekly fellowship. I, I, I try to, it's not mandatory, it's not compulsory, but I try to go. I'm pretty faithful to go every week unless there's a conflict in my schedule. And one of the themes that is regularly brought to the heart of the pastors is, guys, don't get away from your personal devotion time with the Lord. You know, you can be busy studying and preparing and doing notes. You're in the Word. You're looking. You're cross-referencing. You're doing the work of the Word. But you know what? That's not the same as just being on your face before the Lord, crying out to Him, praying, seeking His Word, not so much for preparing a sermon, but rather just, Lord, speak to me out of Your Word. What do You have to say to my heart? And this is something that that, that the pastors are encouraged regularly to do because we all know. You can be in ministry, you can be busy, you can be seemingly doing the work of God, and yet your own personal relationship with Him is distant. And I don't want to get too distant lest, I, lest I'm no longer in His hand. So being in His hand is something that, that we want to do and need to do if we're going to be effective in any capacity for the Lord. We need to be close to the Lord we need to be His instrument, His messenger. And we, we want Him to control the light. He is the head. He is the one who speaks to the church. He's leading the church. How important not only for pastors, but for all in spiritual leadership. And those of you that serve, some of you serve and have some leadership in this church. Stay in the hand of Jesus. Stay in the hand of Jesus. Finally, we'll close here tonight with just this assurance that he see that that he receives. John, you look now back with me in verse 17. He's seen this vision. It's pretty impressive. And as you might expect, when he sees it, 
it's kind of overwhelming to him. Verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. And then he explains the mystery of the stars and the lampstands, which we've covered. There is this assurance. He's afraid. I mean, my goodness, can you imagine seeing this kind of vision? It would overwhelm you. He's not alone. Those that saw this kind of revelation from the Lord uh, in other places of the Scripture had the same reaction. Ezekiel, Daniel, I mean, when they see that kind of spiritual uh, reality, they, they fall on their face. It, it completely overwhelms them and, 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 and fear moves into his heart, but there is an assurance, don't be afraid. The revelation of the Lord is not to bring fear, but it's to bring knowledge and it's to bring comfort. And he reminds John, don't be afraid, I'm he who lives. First he says, I'm the first and the last, I am eternal, I am the Lord. But then he reminds him in verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I live forevermore. Amen. John knew who he was. John saw him die. John saw him rise again. And Jesus reminds him, you know me, John. You know who I am, and you know what I've done for you. And this is the assurance. This is the confidence that we have even tonight. This is the Jesus that went to the cross for us. He was his death for us, but now resurrected from the dead to live forever. Very important. I have the keys of Hades and of death. Jesus simply endeavoring to encourage the apostle, John, it's okay. Don't be afraid. I'm the one who died for you. I'm the one who raised from the dead. And because of my death and resurrection, I now hold the keys to Hades and death. Hades is that that place of of holding for those that have gone in, that have died. Sheol is the Old Testament reference. Jesus saying, "I now have authority even over the grave. You don't need to be afraid." And what he's going to reveal to him is going to really testify that he indeed does have eternal power even over the grave. This is our assurance. This is our hope. This is our confidence tonight. That Jesus is alive. He is, he's died for our sins, but He lives and now has the key to eternal life. He is the one. These promises that he's, He makes, this revelation that He gives, He has the power to keep these things. He has the power to fulfill these things. And it is intended, I believe, to assure us and encourage our hearts that this Jesus is all-powerful. And He finally, in verse 19, and I think this is, a very important verse because I, I believe within this verse is the key to understanding the entire book of Revelation. Notice what he says. Write the things which you have seen. Now that's the vision that he has just seen. That's this image of Christ that he has just witnessed. And the things which are, that's the letters that he is getting ready to dictate to John to the churches and the things which will take place after this. That will be those, those things concerning the future. And the book of Revelation is broken up into those three sections. 
chapter 1 are the things which you have seen. This is the the initial vision of Jesus Christ. The things which are, those are the things that he's getting ready to say to him concerning the churches. And those that is something that we see in chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the churches. And the things that are yet to be after that, that's what we will pick up in chapters 4 through 22. So important to understand how the book of Revelation is kind of uh, pieced off. Because otherwise, it can be very confusing. What's he talking about now? When is that going to happen? Is that already happened? Is that future? Is that past? Write the things which you have seen, the vision that you've just witnessed in chapter 1. Write the things that are this dictation to the churches. That's the, that's the thing that is now. We live in this current church age, the things that are. We're living in the age of the church. But then also write the things which will come after that. After what? After the age of the church. That's what we will pick up in chapters 4 through the remaining portion of the book. That gives the picture of those things that come after the church age. So this is the way we will study it. We've just finished chapter 1. We've just seen those things. We've just talked about those things which he has seen. Next week we'll start the things that are. We'll start to, and begin to go through the letters to the churches. And these are the things that are. Now, these were seven you know, literal churches that existed at this time. These were actual churches in real places, but they are also going to be symbolic of the kinds of churches that will exist through all of church history, which will speak to us even today. So those letters that we see in chapters 2 and 3 are the letters to the church age. They will be very relevant. We will see, I'm sure, a little bit of ourselves there, a little bit of other churches there, a little bit of church history there. There will be something for us all. And uh, it'll be in good instruction for us as well. But tonight we started with that which he has seen, the vision of the glorified Son. And it is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ in his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this beautiful revelation, this unveiling, this revealing of Jesus Christ. We see in this already, Lord, just this, this image of Jesus Christ and the symbolism of his, of his clothing and His appearance. And we see, Lord, the priority of, of the ministry of Jesus today. He's at work in His church. And He is holding in His hand those that are ministering in His church. We are, as ministers, simply messengers of Him. We are to be used by Him, directed by Him, and close to Him. Reminds me of Paul's words to Timothy that we should be uh, vessels useful to the Master. And so tonight, Lord, as we just humble our hearts before You and consider this, uh, what I hope is an encouraging look at Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, that You would you would speak to our hearts and minister to the heart of the congregation tonight, Lord, this sense of eternity. Lord, as we look at the book of Revelation, I, in my own, even in my own heart, I, I'm beginning to feel that sense that, Lord, you know what? This is all going to pass. This is just a, a, a season, a present age. I'm beginning to see that you've got an eternal plan. Now, of course, I know this, but to be reminded of it, Lord, it encourages my heart. Even this week, Lord, as I was finding myself just kind of tired and discouraged, just 
Seeing the, the glory of the moon at dusk, Lord, reminded me, Oh, Lord, you're coming again, and I'm going to be with you. It's going to be okay. And as we study the book of Revelation, Lord, may we re- remember, oh, it's going to be okay. You've got a plan. You've got a destiny. You've got a hope for your church. We're companions on this journey, Lord. And yes, there's tribulation, but we've tasted something of the kingdom. And so, Lord, we have patience as we wait for your return. Speak to our hearts, Lord, of eternal things. And may it cause us to be more effective even in this present age. More confident in our walk with you. More trusting in this image of Jesus where he is indeed the Alpha and the Omega. And he has even the keys of life and death. Hell and the grave, Lord, have been defeated. You are the eternal God. We put our confidence in you tonight. And as our heads are bowed tonight, just closing in prayer, I do want to give opportunity. If there's anyone here tonight, you need to, maybe you need to come to the Lord for the first time, come to relationship in Jesus Christ, or maybe you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. I'd like to pray for you and I just give this opportunity to respond. If you're here tonight and you want to invite the Lord into your heart for the first time, or you need to rededicate your life to the Lord, would you raise your hand so that I can see it and I'll pray for you? Anybody here tonight? God bless you. You in the back as well. Anyone else besides these two? Lord, I do pray for these that have responded. Lord, and you know their hearts. And God, I pray that you would meet them tonight again. And reassure them of your love for them, Lord. My sense tonight, Lord, these are individuals that need to come back and rededicate their hearts to you. Lord, meet them. Let them know that you love them. Let them know that all is forgiven as they confess and yield their hearts to you. And Lord, renew them. Renew them with a confidence that you're with them. And they're not alone. That they have companions, brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord. And we are in this journey together. And I pray that you would meet them, Lord, and bless them. We ask these things tonight in Jesus' name.